Timothy, 1 Timothy. After finishing a, a series on the Psalms and the Proverbs, we decided to just spend a, um, a few messages on, on the church, thinking about the offices of elder and, and deacon, and then just the nature of the church in general uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> many of the things I'll, I'll probably say tonight, and even over the co- course of this sermon, are, are not uh, probably new things uh, for many of you, but uh, they are spoken to you as a way of reminder, right? The we have the Apostle Peter said this in Second Peter chapter 1. He says that God has given me the ministry of reminding, to remind you of the things that you already know. Uh, we pray that even tonight you may be reminded of things, but also be encouraged with new things from God's Word. I'm going to read um, uh, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy all the way from verse 1 to verse 7. Pray, and then we'll dive in. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Father, we do thank you for uh, your word tonight. We thank you that for the preciousness of it. Lord, Father, we pray that as we come in this moment, we pray that we would submit to your word. And we pray that the word that is spoken would be a word that is aptly, not only spoken, but aptly heard by your people. Father, we pray that you would continue in your kindness to raise up um, men like this ver- these verses um, explain. And we pray, God, that that would cause all of us in this congregation uh, to be, uh, live lives above reproach, to be holy and to be godly in your sight. God, that our lives would adorn the gospel to a watching world. So, Father, we pray that you would uh, be with us now. Send your spirit, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, the, a couple weeks ago, I unpacked this uh, first verse in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Uh, the very next day, I was part of... Uh, a conversation uh, with the South Carolina Baptist Convention with uh, how, to, how to create residencies in the local church. I was kind of doing it as one of the panelists, and one of the guys on the panel, uh, a pastor at South, or a, a professor at Southeastern, he just said that it's very rare today where students come to Southeastern and they desire to be a pastor. I was shocked. I'm like, you're, you're, you're a seminary, you're designed to train pastors. But he says, yeah, people want to be maybe a pastor on staff, but people don't want to stand before God's people and to preach. They, they don't want to do that anymore. It's, it's harder and harder to have them desire that, that office. And I find that interesting because the day before, I just talked about how beautiful that office is and just highlighting our elders and, and the calling that those men have for the life of our, of our church. 
And we think about the one, maybe one of the reasons why is because of the expectations that God places on those who are in leadership. Um, it's, it's a noble task to lead and shepherd God's people, but it's also a great um, responsibility. So we see this in, in verse 2, and we see really the characteristics or the qualifications of, of an overseer. Therefore, an overseer, episkopos, right, it's where we get episcopalian, right, the overseer uh, must be above reproach. And really that idea kind of carries over this whole entire section. So if you want to say, what is an overseer? What are the qualifications of a pastor? They're above reproach, period. And then really what Paul is doing here, he's unpacking what above reproach means. Uh, So he, he finds first the family. He must be a the husband of one wife, really a one-woman man. Right? He must be faithful to his, to his wife. Um, he must care for her. He must be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. I don't think what Paul is doing here, he's, I don't think he's giving us an exhaustive list that you have to kind of check off and say, okay, he's not this, he's not that, he's not this. Right? I think some of those characteristics might be there, maybe the husband of one wife be, being one. But this, these, these other characteristics are, are what above reproach means. If you're going to be above reproach, if you're called to the office of overseer, you must be what? Sober-minded. Uh, you must be balanced. You must have sober judgment in, in decision-making. Well, why? It's because you have lots of decisions that you have to make if you are an overseer of decisions. And if you are um, overly emotional and you are going to be tossed back and forth when decisions happen, that's, that's a troubling thing for a congregation. Um, we heard recently at a, at, a, at a conference, it was last October, he said, immature Christians, everything is a 911. Right? And you have that in your life, right? People feel like, it's maybe if you have teenagers in the house, like it's got to be taken right now, right? That's a sign of immaturity. And really a sign of, of responding quickly out of, out, of, out of emotion, that's also a sign of immaturity. Right? If you are going to be above reproach, if you're going to be mature in Christ, you'll be sober-minded. You'll also be self-controlled. You'll be able to restrain yourself. You'll be able to restrain yourself from, even in the text here, from alcohol. You'll be able to restrain yourself from food. You'll be able to restrain yourself from your, from your tongue. Right? The, the James chapter 1 says what? He who teaches must be careful because teachers are going to be judged more strictly. And then it goes on in the very next verses to say what? But the tongue. The tongue is, is, a, is, a, is on fire uh, by, the, by the evil one. Who can tame the tongue? Well, we know that no one can full, fully tame the tongue. The only one who can tame the tongue is, is the one who tames the heart. That's the Lord Jesus. But if you are going to be those who are in leadership, whether that's your leadership in the church, this is by extension leadership in the home and leadership in, in your jobs or other areas, you have to be self-controlled in your speech. And maybe even self-controlled in your social media presence as well, because social media is just another form of your speech, right? You're, you're speaking, right? You have to have self-control. You don't have to say everything that you're thinking. And every husband said amen, right? You don't have to say everything that goes through your head, everything that goes through, through your mind, because not everything that you say is right and true. Sometimes you need to let it sink and say, okay, is this right? Is this not right? And, and I, 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 I'm a talker. Those of you who know me, I I process what I'm thinking in conversation. So my thoughts sometimes are kind of jumbled because I'm trying to work out what I'm I'm thinking in conversation. But even then, I have to restrain myself. In certain settings, I can't say my thoughts and help rustle out because I may confuse people around me. Self-controlled in many different areas. 
in the Proverbs, it says that a man without self-control is like a city without walls. You, you lay down your defenses and you're easily attacked. Self-control is a way to protect yourself. And really, this is the essence of, of the gospel. Uh, I remember um, five years ago, Bobby Schellenberger stood in this pulpit and I sit in the back row and Bobby was preaching and he said, uh, he was preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ and how Jesus says, uh, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Then he says, it is good for us to hear the word no. And I sat in the back and I said, yes, I need to hear the word no. Why? Self-control. So there's often times where things in my life, I tell myself, you need to hear the word no. Right? Five years later, that's still bearing fruit in my own, in my own soul. It says you need to be respectable, um, hospitable. I won't go through all these in details, but I do think that this hospitable, this, this, this idea of uh, welcoming arms open wide is, is a huge idea. Um, and and I, I think that there's a reason why, as you'll see here in, in a moment, in terms of what I think that the goal of what God is trying to do here with, with, with pastors, with overseers, he, he wants them to be the leader of a family. And the leader of a family should be those who are welcoming people in. So if we look about our own homes, we want to have hospitality. We want to be hospitable. What do we want to do? We want to open up our home and bring people into us. Or we want to invite people in. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, right? We were running away. We were rebellious. And what did God do? God said this, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I want to be hospitable to you. I want to welcome you in to me, into him very, into his very self. Then it says the, the, the key distinction between an overseer and a deacon is to be able to teach. And if you just um, <clears throat> jump down to, um, I won't even say it there, but if you look at chapter verses 8 through 13, you see this, the same picture here of, of a deacon, just a godly man, and an elders are our godly man. And, but the only difference is one is able to teach. One has, is apt to teach. One who, who teaches and instructs God's people, and they're edified and they're strengthened. You know, and remember, all the gifts that God gives, no one rejoices in those gifts. You know, so I, I feel that the Lord has, has blessed me with, with the gift of teaching and preaching, but I would have not have thought that years ago. Uh, I, I remember I was at a, a bookstore in uh, Manning, South Carolina, and I was talking to a, a, the lady behind the desk, and she said, yeah, our, our church doesn't have a pastor. And I kind of just handed them my business card and said, hey, if you ever need someone to teach, I'd be happy to. And they didn't check my references, but they invited me to come teach, right? So maybe that's a first sign of trouble. But uh, so I went there to teach, and then I, I just kind of kept, kept teaching the Word. I taught the Word for, for six months. And when I started teaching, the church was, was disunified and hopeless, right, based on some things happened in their, in their church life. After six months of teaching, I looked at the church, and they were hopeful and united. And there was something in my heart that said, I love these people and I don't want to leave them. And I remember my last Wednesday night really kind of fighting back tears and just go, Lord, is this what you want me to do with my life? Is to teach and instruct God's people. Now, I didn't think that God gave me that gift, but every time I tend to teach, people tend to grow. And I say, praise God. It's not like, it's not yay me, it's yay God, because God gets all the glory, right? Because if God has gifted someone to teach, well, then God has given you that gift to teach to use it, okay? 
So one of the things that, that I have, has happened here throughout the 10 years I've been here is I have given young men opportunities to stand up and hear God's word. And not just young men, but I've given men who I believe fits these qualifications to stand and declare God's word. And you know what tends to happen? God's people tell me that that person is apt to teach because we'll be in conversations three weeks, four weeks later, and someone will say, hey, so-and-so said this about a, about a month ago. So the, the fruit of the word of God being taught here tends to change God's people. So God reveals who are these men who are called to teach God's word. They're, they're teaching to be clear and to understand the word. And then he kind of goes into the, the negatives, the not. They're not a drunkard, right? Because if they're a drunkard, well, then they're what? They're, they're, they lack self-control. They lack, lack sober-mindedness, right? Um, it says they're not violent. They're gentle, right? Now, now understand where he's going here. He's moving into kind of this picture of, a, of the church. The church is a family, right? Jump down to verse um, uh, 15. It says, if I delay, Paul says, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So the church is a, is a household. The church is a family. So in a family, you don't want a violent dad. You don't want violent men and angry men leading. Why? Because everyone walks around on eggshells and no one is welcomed in and everyone feels like they can't make a mistake. And if everyone feels that they live and they can't make a mistake, they're living in legalism and not in the freedom of the gospel. Because the gospel says there's nothing you can do to earn eternal life. You are a sinner and you need a savior. And Jesus Christ came to die in your place to pay for your sins and to, to take him to the grave and to be raised for eternal life. You cannot earn your way to heaven. But oftentimes we feel like I have to do all these things. If I do all these things, God will be accepted. God will accept me more. He'll love me more. And that's just not true. But this is what happens when you're around those who are domineering and those who are violent. You tend to interpret, okay, I can't make a mistake. I have to do everything exactly right. Because if I don't, what happens? I'm going to be lashed out at. But God says, we, goes, God's leaders are not called to be violent, not called to be angry, but they're called to be what? Gentle. Like a, like a shepherd. The, this, he gently leads us. This is what we're called to do. So if you're sitting here today and you're thinking about maybe the Lord's stirring in me the desire to, to pastor, I would just ask you, do these qualifications meet your life? Uh, I talked to a young man today and he has the desire to, to be a pastor. And I just said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the elders of the church and say, I desire to be a pastor. I desire to go and plant a church. And if that's your desire, say, do you tell, ask the elders to tell you everything that you need to do to grow, to become more of the man that God wants you to be. And then you just do everything that the elders tell you to do so you can become the man that God wants you to be. Why? So that you can immerse yourselves in the things of God to show all that you have progressed in, in the Lord. Gentleness. Then he says, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, right? There's areas of, of, of those who could call this dangerous is being a lover of, of money. Uh, if you're a lover of money, you can be manipulated by money. Because you will not say things to certain people because you are afraid of their checkbooks walking out the door. And we just can't live that way. We, we can't be afraid of upsetting those who, who may be the biggest givers. That means you're a lover of money and not a lover of God. You're trying to please man. You're not trying to please God. But also says not quarrelsome. And I, I think many pastors might need to revisit this verse today. 
based on what I see them posting and saying. It seems like some are quarrelsome or maybe the, the, the more archaic word, pugnacious. I like that word, right? I don't like being that descriptive, describe me, right? But it's pugnacious, someone who's ready for a fight. They're, they're quarrelsome. They're trying to find a heresy, maybe under every, every statement, to, to fight, to, to rouse things up. And that's not beneficial. And I think all this picture is this idea of, of a man, and it comes down to verse, verse 4, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Right? So he's going to lead not only his wife well, but he's leading his children well so that they would be submissive to his leadership, that they would not run in um, debauchery, they would not run in, in foolishness, but they would run in obedience to the Lord in respect and admiration and honor of their, of their parents. For, it says in verse 5, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That's, the big, I think, the, the big hook here. If you are going to be one who's going to care for God's family, care for God's household, then you have to care for your own. So maybe you feel maybe, maybe you're being aspired to this office of overseer. Well, then well, the first thing you're called to do is to care for your own home, to care for your, your wife, and to care for your, your children. Uh, and maybe you, who are a, a spouse or even a child, can, can exhort and encourage those men in your life uh, to, 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 to pursue godliness and to pursue maybe even this office because of the manner in which they are leading their homes. Uh, maybe you could go home, if your husband meets these qualifications, you can look at your husband and say, sweetie, I just want you to know that when I heard those qualifications tonight, I thought of you. And I want to exhort you and encourage you to, to continue to live a life above reproach for God's glory and God's honor. The reason why I think this is so important, this may be to be providential in my own life and conversations I've had recently, uh, but I've just been thinking more and more about the brokenness of the world. Uh, the world, America, is broken, right? And, and what's broken often is the family. The family's broken. Families are, are often, there's often divorce. There's often, you know, infidelity and, and abuse all over our culture. And the more stories I hear of people who have come through tragic backgrounds, I see issues in the home. And if we're going to be a church that doesn't, um, if we're going to be a church that repairs the brokenness of the world, then we need to be a church that is, you know, is a family that's well taken care of, right? We want to bring people into the home and, and bring people into our family, the family of God here at Park Baptist Church, and do what? And, and welcome them in and restore them to, to what a, a family looks like. So if you are raised and you're raised with a violent father, and then you come into a church and you see lots of gentle fathers throughout the, the church, what do, you, what do you see? You see restoration. Oh, this is what the family is called to be. And this is really what the, 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 we hope for the Lord. Do we not? We, we, we hope and pray that God would restore a people to himself. Then it goes on to verse 6 and 7. I won't go in here in detail, but really the, the picture here is, is how important it is for how the church looks towards the outside world. He said he must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. It's interesting, throughout this book, Paul kind of makes different points of, of, of living a quiet and pleasant life in, in, in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 2, in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 
Um, <clears throat> Ten, it calls to, to, to live with, with, uh, with women are called to live um, with godliness, with good works to the, to the watching world. In chapter 6, it says that all who are under the yoke of bondservants regard their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Several places in chapter 5. All that is to say is that the church is called to, to reflect God to the watching world. So if you have godly leaders, well, then that, that, that family is going to be cared for in a godly way that is going to reflect godliness to the watching world. This is how God plans to reach the world for his name. God plans to reach the world for his name through the church to display the manifold wisdom of God. By doing what? By raising up godly fathers, right? Not a, a, even a, a um, legitimate earthly father, like in, in this text, but those who want to father the sheep, who gently, lovingly want to father the sheep for God's glory, raise them up, helping knit them together as a family in true love, right? So that the love that they have for one another would display God's glory to the watching world, right? So if we want to continue to grow God's kingdom here at Park Baptist Church, well, we want to continue to, to raise up godly fathers, to exhort them, to pray for them, to be gentle, uh, caring, overseers of God's, God's sheep, loving each other as the family should with empty tomb affections so that the world who comes into our gatherings would say, there's something different here. There's something different here. And they may have come from a world of brokenness, but they could find hope and healing here in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I guess my plea for all of us is that we would pray that God would raise our family, the family of Park Baptist Church, into a true family of faith. That we would lean into each other, that we would reach out to each other, that we would bear each other's burdens gladly. We would love each other in such a profound way that it would just not make sense to the world. It wouldn't make sense to your lost family members. It would not make sense to your lost neighbors. But it would make sense in the eyes of God because we truly have been converted by his son. Father, we thank you for this word. We do thank you that you are a kind, Lord, uh, beyond, our, um, beyond our imagination. Father, um, I think of this list, and I know that uh, I and um, other elders in this room uh, may feel that there's areas where we may need, to, may need to grow in of that list. We pray that we would do so. And God, I know that there's others here who may be feeling this tug, this aspiration to grow and to become a, a, a father in the household of faith. Uh, God, I pray that you would raise them up to do just that, Father. Uh, we pray that those who aspire, that would be obedient to your will, would walk in holiness and righteousness. Uh, we pray all this uh, for the good of your church and for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we do have some things.